Thanks, Vicki, and thanks, everyone. I'm excited about this chance to give back what I've been so generously been given. Um, so I'm a compulsive eater. If there's a moral to my story, it's that you can acquire this disease through dieting. I had a pretty normal relationship to food up until the age of 60 when I was diagnosed with heart disease. I say normal, um, it, normal in the sense that it wasn't compulsive. I didn't obsess about food, but not normal in the metabolic sense. A, a normal person's body, um, you eat a certain amount of carbohydrates and then your body makes insulin to match it. Well, my body doesn't make insulin. So I had to go the other way around. I take insulin and then I have to eat carbohydrates to match it. And if I go too high, that's hard on my body. If I go too low, that can kill me in a couple minutes. So, um, so I did this pretty well for 40 years. It was annoying, but not a, it was not hard. If I needed to use self-discipline, I could. And then I hit menopause and the health issues that women get in menopause, among them heart disease. I had always been healthy and I wanted to be healthy. So I started reading up heart disease and came up with a plan to cure myself through diet and exercise. I started dieting and exercising and checking my body to see if it was getting better. And it didn't. I made the diet more restrictive and it my body didn't get better. I went to the doctor, he gave me targets and I hit the targets and my body didn't get better. This went on for three years. And while it was going on, I was making the diet more and more restrictive, de depriving myself of more foods that I love to eat because it was to save my life. And I could do that. I have a lot of self-discipline. I kept trying different things. And after three years, I had to admit it, it just wasn't going to work. Well, Depriving myself to save my life is one thing. Depriving myself to no purpose is something entirely different. And something inside me said, you ripped me off and you are never doing that again. And now I had lost control of my eating. So now I could take a certain amount of insulin and I would eat the carbs to match it. And sometimes I would just keep eating and I couldn't stop a voice in my head would say, stop, what are you doing? You know what's going to happen. And, and the, another voice in my head would say, fuck you, I'm doing it anyway. I tried a lot of things to get control. Mostly I tried more self-discipline because I love self-discipline. But I, I had pretty much used that strategy up in that three years. It just it wasn't working anymore. I tried the steps, I tried everything I could think of, and I, I couldn't get control of it. My A1C kept going up, and then my retina started to bleed, and that really scared me. So, so one day I'm standing at the kitchen sink going, oh, okay, look, look you're going to go blind. If you don't get control of this, you've got to get control. And I, 
I, I heard myself, you know, I've been saying these same things for quite a while now and I couldn't get control. And as a matter of fact, the harder I tried, the worse it got. And I recognized that as a symptom of addiction. And that was step one. I am addicted to food. My life was unmanageable. So if I ask myself, what are the powers greater than me that made step one happen in my life? Well, one of them was my love of life, my love of my body. And one was um, knowing about addiction, which I learned sitting in 12-step rooms for 35 years because of the recovery in those rooms and people's honesty and sharing. So so what are the forces? What are the powers greater than me? Well, there's love, there's honesty, there's recovery. I had heard about OA, but I didn't know whether I belonged because I'm not an overeater. Um, my total food intake is good, appropriate. It was just those times when I ate so destructively. So I went to my first OA meeting to find out whether I qualify. Well, they were not interested in my qualifications. In fact, in the two and a half years I've been coming, no one has ever asked me for my credentials. So they um, spaced out a little bit there. <clears throat> What they what they told me they, they they weren't they didn't tell me whether I belong or not they just told me keep coming back so I came back and in that second meeting I heard recovery for this disease which I had not heard in the first meeting I went to but in that second meeting I came to believe that it was working for you and maybe it could work for me and that's step two. So what are the powers greater than I that made step two happen? Well, there's your recovery. Thank you, OA. And there's your honesty and sharing it. And some wisdom in me that recognized that, that maybe this could work for me. That takes me to step three, which I was now ready for because I had tried the steps before and it didn't work. But now I believed it could work. So I went looking for how to get access to that power to stop eating compulsively. I had, you know, I got insights when I tried before, but I didn't get that power that I need to just stop. I went looking and the reason the steps hadn't worked for me before is because my higher power was a bunch of abstractions. It was things like like what I've been naming the honesty, the love, the um, generosity, you know, those abstract qualities. And those guide me well in my dealings with other people. But when it came to what to eat or how much or when, they didn't help me at all. So I needed some other way to access the power. It's not a question of is the power there or where is it, but how do I get access to it? So this whole God stuff, in my view, is just 
that's how some people get access to that power. Now, for me, the concept of God gives me access to rage. So that's not going <laughs> to me a lot of good with my eating. Um, but I sponsor people who use that to get access to something good in their life and more power to them. I'm not here to take it away. So what would work for me? I thought of a friend of mine, a, a single mom. I was so impressed with how she raised her son sitting at the dining room dining room table she explains to him that you don't pick your nose in front of other people because they think it's gross so if you want to pick your nose you go in the bathroom and he, he says oh and that was it seven years old that was the end of it and i'm like yeah so where's the power struggle where's the judgment and punishment and all the stuff i'm familiar with how i grew up and um and my friend had what I needed because she was helping that that child grow up without that power struggle. And here I was caught in this power struggle. Don't do it. You know what's going to happen. Fuck you. I'm doing it anyway. And this had destroyed the serenity that I had had. And more than anything else, I wanted to get out from under that because it's just torment. So... I started using the loving mother in my mind. I didn't call my friend, but I would imagine her in my mind talking to that child. And and I would give her this problem. Okay, the rebel in me wants to eat cookies or whatever it was. What do I do? And she would say, well, you, Tia, the lover of self-discipline, you go stand in a corner because you're the one who makes this into a power struggle. And so my initial abstinence was abstinence from self-discipline. I established that in the first week of going to OA. I got freedom from that power struggle. Thank you so much. It took a couple months for my A1Cs to start coming down, a couple more months for my eyes to go back to normal. Oh, OA, thank you so much. So step four, well, I guess I, to be consistent, I should ask, you know, what was the power behind step three now that I've turned my food decisions over to the loving mother in my head? What were the powers that made that happen? Well, there was my friend's love for her son and her wisdom in how she was raising him and some wisdom in me that recognized that that could work for me. So I'm going to stop doing that rehearsal all the time um, because I think you know you can see pretty well but I don't rely on anything out there I rely on you and, and myself my own wisdom so step four I, was a list I kept of the thoughts and feelings that I have when I'm tempted to eat that list became my step four I shared some of it with my Christian OA sponsor and some of it I was not sharing with her. So I shared it with another atheist friend in recovery in a different program. And that worked. Step six is I took that list of reasons, you know, I eat because I'm tired. I eat because I'm frustrated. I eat because it's there. I eat because it's free. Now, now isn't that just insane that I eat food at the detriment to my body because 
you know, to save a dollar and fifty cents. It's, it was crazy. But I, I do. That's what I, I did. And I took that list and I boiled it down to, to a set of problems that if I stop doing these behaviors, I will have stopped compulsive eating. I had the list and then I made a column for what does this cost me, this behavior, and then what does it benefit me, and then am I ready? And I know what it cost me. That was in step four. What does it benefit me? Why do I eat when I'm tired instead of resting? Well, it turns out there was a good reason because when I sit down to rest, the voice in my head starts saying, you're not done. You haven't done enough. It's only three in the afternoon. You're not protected. You're not carrying your own weight. You're not good enough. You're a failure. Yeah. And eating was protecting me from that very destructive voice in my head. Eating was a good idea. If that was the only alternative, it was a good idea. But the question now is, is there an even better idea? Is there a more appropriate response to that than eating? Well, yeah, there is. And that's the work of step seven, to go find that more appropriate response. Okay, so... So now I know what the need is. The need, you know, so here's the, the what it costs me, what it benefits me. Well, it benefits me. It protects me from that voice. So now I know what the need is, protection from that voice. And I can go, am I ready to go looking for a better way to meet that need? Yes. Okay. So now, now I can fill out those columns. And when I have a whole column of yeses, then I'm ready to go on to step seven. Step seven, I take them one at a time. So, you know, I eat when I'm tired. Okay, so I work on that until I have an answer to that problem. And I do not go on to the next thing on the list until I have an answer to this one. And I don't leave step seven until I've got an answer to everything. And that makes me different from most people that I know of in recovery. Most people just... You know, they say the seventh step prayer and then go on and they don't really expect to be relieved of these problems. I not only expect it, I demand it. I'm going to stay there until it happens. <laughs> um, so, so step seven, you know, it, I remind myself first thing in the morning, today I'm looking for a better response to, uh, to fatigue than eating. And throughout the day, I remind myself, and that helps me because forgetting is a big problem for me. I just forget to look for a better way. When I get an answer, I go on to the next thing. And when I've got a whole list of answers, I go on to step eight. Step eight, the way that works is that things look different to me at this uh, because I've got these answers. When I thought that I had to overachieve, in order to be an, an, in order to be good enough, then that was the right thing to do. But when I have a better answer to that, like resting and bringing some compassion to that self-criticism and correcting the mistakes in my thinking, when I have a better answer, now I can look back on the past and say, wow, was that ever destructive? I mean, look what it did to my body, my quality of life, and as a matter of fact, look what it did to my ex. <laughs> because, I, you know, I wanted him to be as messed up as I was. And I, I wanted him to 
work as hard toward my goals as I did. And, and, um, and I owed him amends. And I couldn't see that until I got an answer in step seven. I couldn't see that I owed him amends. So I wrote him a, a letter saying, you know, that was a mistake and I'm sorry. And I wish I had learned how to relax from you because you knew that and I could use that now. If we were still together, you see what that amends would do. That would protect me from being able to run a number on him in the future because he wouldn't, he wouldn't let me do the same thing again in the future. And, and in fact, I would probably remember better not to do it. So that's what step nine is. It's protection against relapse. I changed my relationships with people. I changed my relationship with myself. I changed my physical environment, my social environment, my psychological environment, all to support the person I'm becoming and not trigger me to go back to the old behavior. Step nine is about relapse, about consolidating this this new life that I'm headed for. And so are steps 10, 11, 12. So those never really end, but I, I did do them in order as I got to them. So step 10, <coughs> I pull out that list I had for step seven. When I got the answers to these problems, I got the first answer and went on to the next problem and I forgot all about the, the first one, right? Because that's what you do. Now, I have all these answers and I look at them every night and I say, did I use the answers that were called for today? And now I integrate them into my daily life. They become habits. And now I'm really starting to live the life that I've put in place, that I've built the foundation for. Step 11 is improving my relationship with that loving mother that gives me access to my own wisdom. When I first started getting abstinent, I would say, loving mother, should I eat a cookie? And if she said yes, I was like, what? Are you kidding? Are you sure? And uh, so we had a little trust issue there. And it turned out actually that every time she told me to eat a cookie, she was right. Because I had this problem, you know, that if, I, if I'm too low, if I don't eat enough, then I'm going to die in short order. So, um, so step 11 is developing rapport with that internal wisdom, getting more comfortable, better access to it. Step 12 really consolidates what I've learned so far. And for steps 12, I have to thank this meeting. It has been so helpful to me. When I was the only atheist I knew working step eight, I thought that my way with step eight was the way. And then I come to Saturday morning, I say, this is how I work step eight. And 25 other people say, this is how I work step eight. And I'm like, oh, there are 25 ways to work step eight, and they make sense. And this has made me a much better sponsor because now I understand in the beginning that when I explain how I do step eight, it's not to help her find the way, it's to help her find her way. 
So you have given me so much, my recovery, my health, and uh, fellowship in this understanding the atheist approach. I can't thank you enough. 